0: Hi, my name's Sam Sheen, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Mary Lundberg, and this is our podcast, Captivated Audience. We have
1: another interesting guest speaker today, don't we, Marie? Indeed we do, Sam. We have Chris Taggart joining us today. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. It's a bit of a heat up here in Sweden, so you can't complain about that.
2: <laughs> it's pretty hot <laughs> here also in London, so...
1: For those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and especially what your company does?
2: Yeah, so uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Open Corporates. Um, we normally describe Open Corporates as the largest open database of companies in the world. We we collect official company information from all around the world, about 140 jurisdictions. We have 180-odd million companies in the database, all from public sources, and we make this freely available on the web, and then we have an API and, and bulk data as well. And in the ten years we've been going, we started from almost you know nothing. We've grown to become a default source for everyone from investigators to lawyers to journalists to tax authorities. But we, one of the other things that's distinguishing about us is that we're a public benefit uh, company. So that means our primary purpose we we can make a profit.
0: So Chris. Open Corporates, you can find it on the web, really easy title, opencorporates.com. If someone clicks on that website, can you give us sort of a description, remembering we can't do show and tell on an audio podcast, what what are they gonna see?
2: Right, the first thing you'll see is a, is a simple search bar. You type in the name of a company, you type in the name of an officer, and it'll search 180 million companies, 240 million officers thereabouts, and it's really simple. You can then filter by jurisdiction. You can do more advanced searches. There's a whole lot of this. If you want it as structured data, you can get it through the API. We give free API accounts out to journalists, uh, NGOs, things like that. Um, but we have about 500 commercial users uh, doing that. It. So it's become a really default source for that. And obviously we also have some considerable number of bulk data users as well, which take our entire database for their, for their back end systems.
0: Well, you've already got two fans in us, Chris. We do use open corporates fairly regularly, not only for the investigations we do, but also for the teaching and training we do with other financial crime professionals. So it's especially exciting that we've got you on today. So Chris, unlike most data providers, you're making a real effort with open corporates to be transparent about the state of access to company data and the impact that has on society and in fighting financial crime. And we see this in a recent report you've published looking at the European Union.
2: You know, we have this huge database, but we also do a lot about the challenges of accessing company data. You know, unlike many in this space, I come from a a business background, but with a a journalistic angle. And so I've thought about what the dynamics of this access are, but also not just from a point of view of civil society and even anti-corruption and so on, but actually what the impacts on businesses are. Because every day, you know, businesses do business with other businesses and they're exposing themselves to risk. And when you can't access the information about knowing what companies you're dealing with, then you're making that risk needlessly worse. And so we, we've done a couple of reports. We, don't, we did one at the beginning of this year about access to company data in the, in the U.S and uh, we've just done one as you said we published one about access to data in the eu we systematically go through each of the jurisdictions and say can you get access to the data is it open you know is there information about officers or shareholders Uh, and can you get this as data under an open license so can you freely access it or, or do they essentially put some sort of charging regime to mean that only a few companies a very few companies can actually access this data we did one in the, in the EU um, about uh, eight years ago, I think it was. Access was incredibly poor. There were very few people doing open data at that stage. We've shown there's been some significant in- increase, but it's still astonishingly bad. Time when we, are, when, when we live or die by data, everything that we do is about data, whether it's through smartphones or the workflows that we do, the professional workflows we do. It's all about the data and being able to show it. To not have access to the underlying data is a a real challenge.
0: What I found interesting was it seems as though the findings fall into two categories, the no surprise category and the quite surprising category. Can you tell us about some of the latter findings that you made in the most recent report?
2: Yes, well, I think there were two challenges. One is when you look at actually the access to this data, you think, why is this country you know, making all of this stuff available as open data. Someone like Denmark is making this completely available to everyone. Everything is available as, you know, you can, you can access it all for free. You can see the shareholders, you can see the beneficial owners, you can see the financials even for this stuff. And uh, next door to them, Sweden, makes virtually nothing available. You can't even get the basic information without paying money. As an individual doing this, never mind actually accessing data. Our company is fleeing Denmark, because of all this transparency. No, of course they're not. They're actually benefiting from it. And actually, I think the uh, feedback we've been getting from both Denmark, from the government and from people who use that data is this is great and it gives us more confidence in the Danish companies. You get those like really strange, the frankly shocking ones where you've got Spain and Italy fall into this, two really significant economies, but actually getting hold of this data is almost impossible for anybody who doesn't have literally millions of euros to, to spend to get the Italian data costs millions and millions of euros per year. There's only, and one company dominates this, you know, they, they boast on their report to investors that they have the vast majority of use of this data comes by, comes to them. Now that doesn't say to me, great, we've got a, a vibrant, active, competitive market here. And nor does this say we're making this information as freely available and as easy to people to use to create a great business environment. This says we're making a great, we've got a great monopoly here. Let's keep it, keep it like that.
0: Chris, what's really interesting about this is about a hundred years ago, when I worked in Guernsey, only corporate service providers who were regulated were allowed to access the registry and update the information that was in there. And... The registry was allowed to charge a fee if anyone else wanted the information. And sometimes it was literally, there were bits of paper somewhere in a back room and someone had to go find, collect, scan, and then send to the person who'd paid the fee. And charging that fee kind of made sense to me, but Mm. surely charging a fee doesn't seem to make much sense. I mean, really, is the overhead really that high for registries to do this?
2: Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've, I've was a Journalist um, in a in a formal life, and in my early days, and we're talking thirty years ago, I used to go to actually not far from where our offices to uh, City Road into Company's House, the Company's House office there, and go and get microfish at a pound a go on a company. And now, when you've had to produce microfish, a pound a go seemed fairly reasonable to me. It's all in a database. The marginal cost of making that available is zero. And so the, the, what you're really doing is actually providing a, a, a tax on business. Businesses are overwhelmingly the users of this nation. I mean, if you think about going to, to checking something on, on the Danish register or a company's house or something, it's like, oh, I can go straight to there. I can check it. I can look at this company. I can see who it exists. I can see who the ultimate beneficial owners are. It's really easy oh, no, wait a minute, I'm, I've got this inquiry from a Spanish company. What I need to do is I need to figure out how this site works, Then i got to need to figure out how to register, and I could need to put my credit card information in, and I need to do this. Oh, wait a minute, it wasn't this. I needed another record. I've got to pay another bit on the credit card. Already you're talking about 10, 15, 20 minutes or something versus a, few, a matter of a few seconds. Not to mention the fact that this data doesn't exist, can't be linked, to your procurement system. It can't be linked to any sort of automated due diligence system. It can't be combined with other data. All of those things make this possible. And I think one of the the proudest moments for me as as a Brit, you know, was when Companies House said, we are a register. We exist to be consulted. Our purpose is to be consulted. Our main metric will be how many people are consulting our data through the website, to our open data downloads, to our open APIs, all of this stuff will be our major metrics. And they have increased them by several orders of magnitude by over a hundred times. Chris, how
1: do you go about collecting all that data and what makes Open Corporate's approach to providing company data different?
2: Yeah, I think there's a, there's, there's a number of things that distinguishes us. So we think that this is important that everyone has access to. So we'll put this on a website that is free we're not gonna charge for access to the website. Anyone can do it, they don't even need to register. And that in itself was very different from uh, you know, all the traditional legacy providers. And the second thing that we did was we said, we're gonna be clear about where we got this from. And most of the, these, you know, the traditional providers have a, what's, what we call a black box model. They'll tell you something and it's like, well, where do you get it from? No, we got the data, you know, this is our data, you just have to trust it when did you get it we're not going to tell you that either by the way here's an identifier that we're going to use to identify it which has a, a proprietary license on it so that sort of traditional black box you don't know where it came from you don't know when they got it you don't know how they got it and the, the is the proprietary is fundamentally one that's not suited for today and we said we'd always be clear about where we get it from we wanted many people to be looking at it as possible so we don't want to charge to restrict access to it because that also means that you get much lower quality. We have over 4 million people every month use Open Corporates, and that's a really powerful data quality driver. That feedback loop is fantastic.
1: Going back to the report, EU company data, State of the Union 2020 that you published. Can you please tell us where we can find it?
2: Absolutely. Well, there's always Google, but I would just go straight to the blog. Uh, There's a link for my main website, or you can just do blog.opencorporates.com, it should be easy to find and there's also other uh, resources there from people using open corporates to do investigations to other news about uh, company information and so on.
1: While on the topic of the report, have you seen any kind of pressure in regards to other countries that would like to limit the company data to a subset of what is collected and then made public by the company registers?
2: Absolutely, some of them actually it's a little bit more complicated so for Austria, for example, doesn't even publish the register, they only give it, they only sell it to a, a limited number of companies who then make it available to the wider public. Frankly, they're making money out of it. Some of these registers are doing what they're not supposed to do, even under EU rules. But you know, some of these actually have a, a business model where they want to generate revenue But you also have other ones, and I think the Dutch is a really good example of this, the KVK. The KVK, what is it? Chamber of Commerce? What what actually is that? Is that a private institution or is it a government institution? And actually, when you go to the government website, it says it's a public sector provider. And actually, you look at their budgets and what they do it's not just about running the register and, and making this available, but they're also traditional Chamber of Commerce their work. They're providing services to advise companies, to pull companies together, to help them to have meetings and all of this sort of stuff. So traditional Chamber of Commerce stuff. Now you look at their budget and it's not clear where that's coming from. Are we actually in a situation where this private organization And all their work, their other work, is being subsidized by by the cost of of registering. Where is this money coming from? The whole thing is this sort of like slightly cozy, slightly opaque, dark sort of system where it's not clear. It should be to maintain the register. And if it's got other things, they should be completely separate. They have also been pushing uh, recently to add restrictions so-called database rights that would mean that nobody, wherever you got the data from, could have a copy of that register without them without that data and all the subsequent data being owned by the KVK. Actually this is explicitly prohibited in the latest EU directive, but nevertheless this is what they're doing. So you have all of these little fiefdoms that are coming around and are have got their own agendas and really it should just be our job is to provide a great business environment that we can all trust.
0: Chris, a number of our podcast participants have talked to Marie and I about data. And one of the areas that interests us the most is the debate around whether the data needs to be squeaky clean and perfect to be usable, and we should be focusing on fixing it all, or whether we should just take it as it is. So some people have pointed out a lack of accuracy in the registry data. You know, Mm -hmm. what's your view on it? Squeaky clean or let's work with what we've got?
2: Well, there is no perfect data. That's the first thing to say. I've been working with data now for 12, 13 years. Any data set of any size has errors in it. And sometimes those errors are inadvertent errors, and sometimes they're deliberate errors. You cannot prove that somebody, for example, is the beneficial owner. It's not possible because you don't know whether they've got a side agreement with someone else, a secret side agreement. So you can never prove that this person is the beneficial owner what you can do is to say, wait a minute, there's an anomaly there. They're stated as beneficial owner, but someone else is the shareholder. Or they're the beneficial owner, and they are actually in this running a news agent in some rural town or something, and they're supposed to be the beneficial owner of a, a million-dollar corporation. You, know, you can find anomalies. You can find things which give you red flags and uh, cause you suspicion. Particularly, you can do that if you can have it as data. And particularly, you can do that when all of these interesting cases and all of the the problematic cases go from one jurisdiction to another and you can combine what one jurisdiction is capturing versus another. So there is no perfect data on that. There's been this false dichotomy set up between should it be public or should it be verified? I see no reason why those things should be treated as independently. It should be verified but people will lie on the verification too and people will fool the verification. And the best way of getting good data quality is to make it public and have as many eyes as possible on that data and to allow it to be available as data so it can be combined with other data sets. One of the central premises behind Open Corpus and its public mission is not that people will tell the truth, is that people will lie. The bad guys will always lie. And that's why we want the data to be available to as many people as possible and as many contexts as users in as many contexts as possible because they'll lie. And that's how they'll get caught out.
1: Chris, you mentioned you collect data from uh, over 140 jurisdictions and we talked about the quality issues. How do you deal with those challenges when structuring that data?
2: Well, it's not easy. (laughs) Um,
1: I, I can only imagine. Yeah.
2: You know, one of the things that we uh, set up with Open Corporates right from the early days is that we wouldn't do the traditional ETL systems that other companies would do because quarterly, or even in many cases, annual ETL system loads from a data set that they probably got from a third party, which also it isn't fresh with the third party. You know, that's a a terrible way to, to be doing it. Extract, transform, and load. Another acronym to learn, right? Sorry, yes, extract, transform, and load. So what we do is we write code and we, uh, we write code to get and fetch the data automatically. This code, and it might be through an open data dump, it might be through an API, or it might be even screen scraping the, 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 the website. And we run these, these bots continuously in, in the background, updating the system. Now those break, we deliberately make them break. Um, so they're very fragile, so we don't get bad data in the system. We have a lot of different QA processes, automated QA processes, and we're doing that. This is one of the reasons why the mapping process where we say uh, there's a data point in the, uh, the register, what does this actually mean? And it's a hard thing to do, and, and, and it can take months, literally months, to be getting to the bottom of some of this stuff. You know, we've contacted, I don't know, a Japanese register, and we said, oh, you said that this is A and B, et cetera. What do we mean by et cetera? what are the examples of etc what does this cover and they said mm, that's a good question no one's asked this, us this before let's go and find out or we read legislation to, to to understand what this means business should be about adding value and one of the va- values that we do is to solve these problems to spend three months trying to get to the bottom of bulgaria's xml schema and the documentation around it so that you guys so that other people don't have to
0: I'm interested to know what you think about the the future of registers in terms of assisting people with investigations. I helped a company respond here in the UK to the company's house consultation. And one of the things the KYC analysts asked, we include, was the name of the companies who help form the companies themselves, who sits behind having created this company to actually have a field where you could identify them, because then you'd have some idea if you had like a company generating factory. What, What do you think of that idea?
2: I think it's, it's enormously sensible, and, and I think it's one where uh, all the professionals uh, that are connected with an organization need to be disclosed and need to be available as data. And we wrote quite a, a an important piece called Fireflies and Algorithms uh, last year, talking about how we're moving into the, the world of programmatic company formation, where people are writing computer programs to create companies and company networks, and how we're going to be moving towards what's called Firefly Companies, where companies will exist for a day, a minute, a second even, right? So that's where we're, where, where we're moving to. So on the fact that we aren't considering this to be essentially a data problem is a crazy thing.
1: So can you tell us a little bit about your recent advancements to enhance your data coverage or to expand the functionality of open corporates?
2: One of the, the most important things that we've been changing over the, over the last year, we released And it's still an early stage, but uh, is is already useful and uh, really interesting. We released a thing called um, Corporate Signals. So Open Corporates, just so you know, was originally a snapshot database. It was uh, what we see at the moment in in the register the last time we saw it. With Corporate Signals, which are really about the events that happen to a company, when a company name changes, now we record that name. Some registers would show the previous names, but many wouldn't. But now we record that name when they've changed the status, when they've incorporated, dissolved, all of those sorts of things, uh, when the Gazette Note is published for it, we're now creating those as events. And so we're moving open corporates, and it's a work in progress. We're moving open corporates from being a snapshot database to being a series of events, and so that you can track companies over time. In the back end, we're, we're absolutely transforming the way we're collecting data and where we're QAing it to reduce that time by orders of magnitude. And so typically, as I said, you know, the amount of stuff we're doing around QAing a data set, a company register and so on, understanding it, it literally is taking months uh, uh, around that because we have to have these queries and, and so on. We're bringing that down to days at the moment by using automated tools and they're in development at the moment and that's gonna mean that we can have more jurisdictions, fresher data and, and more data as well.
0: I, for one, am really excited to hear that, and it aligns very nicely with people's forecasting of the implementation of a continuous KYC environment for financial institutions. So, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today.
2: No problem. It's been a pleasure.
0: And if you would like to do like Chris and take part in one of our future podcasts, we're going to be taking a small break for the summer. Feel free to drop us a line on captivatedaudience.eu or you can contact us directly on the Captivated Audience LinkedIn page.
1: Until next time, thank you and stay safe.